This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm a recovering sex addict, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Uh, I have two things I want to share today before we get started. First is Worth Recovery is now available straight in the iTunes store. Woohoo! If you are an iTunes fan, just search Worth Recovery and go ahead and subscribe. Uh, if, if the podcast has helped you in any way, I would also appreciate a great shout out and a rating within the iTunes store. Um, I can't thank you enough for your continued support and dedication and in listening to what I have to say. I'm really excited about so many possibilities and so many things coming up. So second... Uh, Do you ever have like confirmation moments from the universe? Do you know what those are? Like to me, they are the moments where something I believe to be true is brought back to me in a totally unexpected way. Not that I have to learn it again, but that something unpredicted brings the lesson or truth back to me somehow. The more I pay attention, the more I seem to see these in my life. I call them like little confirmation moments, little moments where what I believe is confirmed from an outside source. So I had one of those this week. Uh, In episode four, we talked about the shaming voice of should and shoulding. I encourage you to stop shoulding on yourself, right? And to think about where that shaming voice leads. Well, this week I was watching an old episode of NCIS on Netflix. That was my dad's totally favorite show. Probably the last thing he ever watched. And sometimes when I miss him, I just throw on old episodes in the background because it reminds me of him and the time, some of the time that we spent together. Anyway, I wasn't really paying attention to the storyline at all. I'd seen it before, but I sat straight up when I heard Special Agent Gibbs say, should be is not life. Right? I rewound it to be sure that I heard it correctly. And sure enough, as his boss is complaining about something not being how it should be and how his kids should have this and work should be this way and his agent should act a particular way, Gibbs stops him and says, should be is not life. That is 100% totally true. Should be is not life. Should be is not reality. Should be is shame and denial and doesn't help in moving you forward or finding forward momentum. So go back and review episodes four and stop the shooting in your life. I challenge you to eliminate that word from your vocabulary completely. Don't use it. Try another way to word something. It's a challenge for sure, but it is possible. Totally possible. So anyway, I was just excited about that little, uh, little confirmation moment in my life. Okay. So let's get on with today's topic. Today's topic, episode seven, is the 12 steps of recovery. Now, I get asked all of the time, why, with three years of sobriety and a solid foundation in recovery, do I keep going to meetings? Sometimes people say, you've worked the 12 steps already and are, and are staying sober, so why is this still part of your life? You've recovered, right? Why do you keep doing this? I think they're all very good questions that definitely deserve a thoughtful answer. 
So I wanted to take an episode and talk about what the 12 steps are, where they came from, how they are used, and why I continue to include the 12 steps and 12 step fellowships as part of my recovery. So here it goes. First of all, though, really quickly, you need to know I am not affiliated with any 12 step groups. Um, not AA, nothing. No A groups am I affiliated with, nor do I speak for any of those groups. Okay, let's go. So if you're not familiar with the 12 steps, let me give you a really brief introduction, okay? The 12 steps were first conceptualized and then formalized in 1939 by Bill Watson and Dr. Bob Smith, more commonly known as Bill W. and Dr. Bob. These men were the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous and wrote both the 12 steps and the 12 traditions that are still used today at AA meetings across the globe. The 12 steps in their entirety as presented by AA are as follows. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Steps one through three indicate a massive change of attitude, moving from trying to control every single little detail of our lives and relying on our own knowledge and power to the growing awareness and acceptance of a power greater than ourselves. Step three is the first real action step, making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to this higher power. Steps four through seven is analyzing the exact nature of our wrongs. It's digging deep and understanding our false beliefs, what character defects we have, and where we have caused problems for ourselves and especially for other people. Steps 8 through 10 is where we clear away the wreckage of our past. We clean up our side of the street, they call it. It's a rebirth of sorts where we make amends and re-repair relationships. Steps 11 through 12 become our new way of life. As we seek the will of our higher power and not our own, and as we try to help others and practice these principles in all of our affairs, these steps act as our living amends, our continuous living amends, and testify to the people that we have indeed left our dependency behind and are moving forward. I love this quote from the text of Alcoholics Anonymous called The Big Book. It's on page 60. Quote, Many of us exclaimed, what an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. 
These principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Close quote. Progress, not perfection, is the goal of the steps. That topic alone, progress, not perfection, could be its own episode. So we'll save that for our discussion later on. But it is important to remember that the steps are about progress. They're about moving forward. They're not about arriving or perfection. It's about a continual moving forward of our lives. I read and studied the original AA literature as part of my recovery. My sponsor required that I read the original text. She called herself a, quote, big book sponsor, meaning she used the AA principles and methods of working the steps as her primary resource. I love the AA text, the big book. I have found it both enlightening and challenging. So little was known about addiction when it was originally written, and yet it has stood the test of time, validating its inspiration and effectiveness. Now, as the AA Fellowship grew, others struggling with substance addiction issues started looking to AA as the authority for addiction recovery. In the early 50s, I think it was 1953 to be more exact, AA gave permission to Jimmy Kay to use the 12 steps in the formation of a similar fellowship for drug addicts called Narcotics Anonymous. This event began the further adaptation and usage of the 12 steps and 12 principles, usually called the 12 and 12, by all sorts of recovery groups throughout the world. There are literally hundreds of different types of 12-step fellowships throughout the world. They range in treating substance abuse like alcohol, narcotics, cocaine, crystal meth, marijuana, and nicotine, to process addictions like gambling, food, spending, working, and sex, as well as all sorts of other compulsory behaviors. I've also read and studied the texts of several sex addiction fellowships because there are several of them out there, if you didn't know that. So the three major fellowships that I'm familiar with, commonly referred to as S-fellowships, are Sexaholics Anonymous, S-A, Sex Addicts Anonymous, S-A-A, and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, S-L-A-A. There are others as well. They have each adopted the 12 steps from AA, altering step one to use the language appropriate for their view of the problem. So an example, Sexaholics Anonymous states, we admitted we were powerless over lust that our lives had become unmanageable. Sex Addicts Anonymous states, we admitted we were powerless over addictive sexual behavior. Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous states, we admitted we were powerless over sex and love addiction. Again, each fellowship alters step one to define the problem as they see it. There is also sometimes a change to the wording in step three and step 11 usually to reflect the fellowship's view of a higher power or God. The most common change is to drop the gender-specific pronoun him used to refer to God with the goal of allowing more liberty in how the fellowship and its members define their own higher power or God. So examples again, SA, Sexaholics Anonymous, uses the original AA text, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. S-A-A and S-L-A-A both changed the hymn at the end, stating, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Other than those small changes, the 12 steps remain intact for each fellowship. And to me, that shows the importance of the 12 steps and how essential they are for recovery. You know, I attended my first 12-step meeting in July of 2011. 
Just a few months before, I was waking up to the idea that I had an addiction. I grabbed a few addiction recovery books at Barnes & Noble and had read them completely through. However, none of them addressed the 12 steps. They were very clinical and defined and discussed addiction. I learned a lot, a whole lot. I've always been a reader and I really, really learned a lot. But it was at my first therapy appointment that my therapist said, you won't be able to do this alone. You need to find others to talk to, discuss things with, and a 12-step fellowship to attend. He recommended a few in the area, but left it up to me to find the meeting that I wanted to go to. My first meeting was me and another woman. Seriously, that was it. The two of us. The other woman were attending a retreat that weekend, she told me, so it was just her and I. We sat together for an hour as we traded off reading from her book, since I didn't have one. She introduced me to the 12 steps and she told me her own story with sex addiction and working the steps. I was truly inspired by her and her story. There was so much of it that resonated with me and that was so similar to my own. She said to me that the 12 steps were now her way of life. That stuck with me, her way of life. It just really stuck in my brain that the 12 steps were a way of life. As I began studying the 12 steps, I loved both the simplicity and the complexity of each step. Step one is just simply an admittance of powerlessness and unmanageability in my life. When I first started, it was easy to make that admittance because my life was definitely unmanageable and I had made multiple attempts to try to stop it and I couldn't. But as I peeled back those initial layers, which were easily shed because of the desperation I had, I found things in my life I was unwilling to admit my powerlessness over. I found unmanageability in my life that I didn't want to let go to, that was somehow feeding me. But even those things I had to come to terms with and admit my powerlessness and my unmanageability. Simple, but yet complex, all at the same time. Thoroughly working the steps took time. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I remember at one point I had about six months of sobriety, well, just short of six months, when I relapsed. I had worked steps one, two, and three and had started four, but my sponsor, she made me start over again, saying that if I wasn't staying sober, there were holes in my step work, areas where my surrender wasn't complete, areas of my old life that I was still holding on to. I hated when she said that, totally hated it, but what was I to do? So I started over. And I learned so much more in the process. She was absolutely right. There were still work I needed to do. And I learned a lot in that process. Some of my hardest work came in what might seem like the easiest steps. Six and seven were hard for me. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all of our defects. And then in step seven, humbly asked him to remove them. Some of my defects had served me well in the past. I wasn't sure I really wanted them to go away. I mean, everyone has their favorite defects, right? Things that they like to hold on to. I did. I did for sure. And I didn't want to let them go. I didn't want them to be removed. That meant I would have to be more accountable and more responsible. It meant I had to change my behavior. And that wasn't the easiest thing to do. And I wasn't really willing to do it. It took a while for me to work through that on my own and be able to really say that I wanted them to be gone. Step 10 totally changed my life. 
When we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. I was one that would try to manipulate and do anything before admitting I was wrong. It was something I had to work at. I did have a coworker kind of validate me once after I had been working on this. And she told me that one of the things she loved about working with me was that I was willing to admit I was wrong and always did it as soon as possible. That totally made my day because I know that I hadn't always been that way. I've held on to things and to thoughts and to errors trying to fix them before they could become apparent or before anybody else could see that I had made a mistake. Sometimes causing massive additional problems or intricate webs of lies rather than just say, wow, I was wrong. But now I just do it. I say, wow, my bad. I fix it and I move on. I'm not perfect. Remember, progress, not perfection is the goal. As I became more and more familiar with the steps, I started noticing that everything fits in the steps. Everything. I'm a bit of a word junkie and kind of a quote collector. I like words and inspiring sentences. I see some of the memes and quotes that are sayings and things that float around Facebook and Pinterest and I realize how they all seem to relate to the steps. Let me give you a couple of examples. So Mark Twain said, continuous improvement is better than delayed perfection. Um, that's the whole essence of the 12 steps. We stay in step 10, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, right? We're all about continuous improvement as we work the 12 steps. Um, another one, Louisa May Alcott said, I am not afraid of storms, for I am learning how to sail my ship. And to me, that just really speaks to the essence of steps one, two, three. They help me understand that no matter what storms may come, I have a higher power who cares for me. And though I am powerless over the storms, I'm not powerless over my ship and how I trust my higher power to help me sail it. Let me give you another one. So J.K. Rowling, kind of quote unquote J.K. Rowling, Professor Dumbledore says, right, in Harry Potter, It is our choices that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. The 12 steps are all about choice. They're all about taking control of the things we can control and letting go of the things we can't. Step 12 says we practice these principles in all our affairs. It becomes about our choice and about what we're going to do and the living amends that we're going to continue to make as we move forward with our lives. The 12 steps are my way of life. I've learned to tightly control what I can control and rely on my higher power to control the rest. I've learned that I'm not God, nor is it my responsibility to ever play God in the lives of people I know. I've learned that I can clean up my side of the street so my past does not control my future. I've learned that making amends is a healing process, an incredibly healing process. I've learned that continuously seeking a higher power or God in my life and connecting with my higher power has brought more peace, more inspiration and direction into my life than anything else I've ever done. And as I've tried to help others serve and give back, my life has been expanded multiple times. The 12 steps have been an amazing addition to my life. They will continue to be some of the core principles around which I center my recovery and upon which I build my new life. In addition to working the steps, I choose to continue to attend a 12-step fellowship on a weekly basis. Actually, I currently attend two meetings a week and participate in serving others in other groups. The reason I do this is strictly selfish. I need examples in my life. 
I need examples of lives that are making it. I need to see people with years of sobriety and how they continually handle things. I need to see the maintenance that it takes to continue to live in recovery and how their lives change for the better as they practice rigorous honesty. I need to hear their experiences about how their relationships have changed. It brings hope and peace in my life and it gives me something to work towards. I also need examples of lives in chaos, of newcomers who are struggling to get any sort of traction in their lives. I need to hear their experiences of desperation. I need to hear their struggle. It helps me remember my own. It helps me reconnect with that desperation, fear, anxiety, and unmanageability that was my life before recovery. It helps me recommit to my recovery, knowing that even a minor slip might land me right back there again. I need a place where I can be rigorously honest. I need a place where I can show up and say whatever is going on in my head, however embarrassing it might feel or be. I need a place where I can publicly surrender the things I'm struggling with. I need people who know my struggle, who can relate to my struggle, and who understand the problems I'm facing. I need a place where I can practice boundaries, where things will go wrong, because they will go wrong at meetings, and I can practice my recovery skills. I need a fellowship with other people with common goals and a common cause, overcoming addiction. Now, I'm not here to debate which fellowship is right or wrong or which one would be the best for you to attend. That's not my job. That's totally your job to figure out the right fellowship for you. Each fellowship has a unique feel and intensity. Each fellowship was born from a group of people with a common purpose, the desire to stop their addictive sexual behavior. I'm not ever going to debate the quality of meetings or the programs or anything like that. We have more commonalities than we do differences. I have found a fellowship that works for me, a fellowship that challenges me to be a better version of myself and helps me move forward in a meaningful way. I end where I began. Why do I keep working the steps and attending a fellowship? Because they are two of the pillars of my program that keep me in recovery. About two years ago, the demands of my job changed and increased. I was traveling 100% each week in a new state, working over 60 hours, teaching a strategic planning program. I would leave Sunday night or early Monday morning, and I'd return late Friday night. Some weekends, I was only home one night. Some weekends, I wasn't home at all. And let me tell you, my program slipped. My meeting attendance slipped big time. I missed meetings with my sponsor. I didn't make phone calls. I wasn't working the steps and I wasn't participating in fellowship. At first, I thought I was just fine. I was making it and I was staying sober and I was definitely loving the attention I was getting at work because of my dedication and what I was doing. And then one night, laying in my hotel room, I started to slip. Seemingly out of nowhere, I was ready to act out and lose it all. I was fantasizing about getting online, finding someone to meet up with. I had to stay the weekend for two meetings back to back and was entirely burnt out. I realized that staying the weekend also gave me two entire days to act up. I was ready to do it. Seriously ready. I opened my computer and typed in craigslist.org and pressed enter. I stared at the personal ad link for what felt like 10 minutes though I'm sure it was probably like more like 30 seconds. And then I closed my computer and I made a phone call. I got real about the quality of my program and my sobriety. 
I knew then that the only way I was going to ever stay sober and in recovery is if I keep working a program. Every day, working the 12 steps, attending fellowship meetings, and doing my 20-mile march like we talked about last time. It's worth it. It is worth it to stay sober and in recovery. I just have planned and accepted that I will attend meetings for the rest of my life. I've accepted it as part of the things I do to stay in recovery, and I'm okay with it. It's good for me. It's self-care, the weekly maintenance I provide to my recovery. The steps are now my way of life. They are part of my paradigm and the way that I see the world. I've decided that all Friday episodes from now on are going to be dedicated to a deeper examination of the steps, what they mean, how I've applied them in my life, and how I see others applying them as well. I hope to motivate you to dig a little deeper and work the steps a little bit more in your life. They work. I love in step 12 how it talks about we practice these principles in all of our affairs. And I hope that as we work the steps together and as we study them and go forward, that we'll be able to start applying these to more than just our addiction, that they really will become a way of life, a way that we can help others and a way that we can help ourselves. As always, I want to remind you that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel right now in this moment, you are absolutely 100% worth recovery. Keep up the fight one day at a time. I think about you. I pray for you. I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.